Welcome to Remnant Christian Center's podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message. I've known him for 23 years. Yvette's probably known him closer to 30 years. 40 years? Okay. And so uh, it's an absolute honor. Uh, you know, PK and, and, and Pastor Lewis and the Kimmers, they've just been so welcoming to our family. And we don't get that everywhere we go. You'll be surprised. We've, we've been around a lot of ministries, and if I, ministries that I won't name, where you're like, oh, my God, that's such an incredible ministry. I follow them online. And you'd be surprised at the, the conflicts that go on in staffs and in leadership. Uh, and there is a unity in this house. And so I just really appreciate you guys accepting me and, uh, as part of the leadership here and we're definitely humbled by that. Uh, it's just been total open arms. And so we just we love you guys and our, our daughters, Shani and Yali, uh, just are so happy. Actually, they started coming here before we did. And so I want to speak to you this morning. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 30. I'm sorry I didn't send the, um, the scriptures over to you guys. So you guys are going to have to follow on with me. My text this morning is from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 30 through 32. And I'm reading out of the New King James Version. It says, For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. I want to speak to you this morning about the mystery of the church. This is a really uh, important passage. The Apostle Paul is dealing with domestic issues. He's speaking about the role of children, the role of the husband in the marriage, the role of the wife in the marriage, and he's going on about the domestic responsibilities in the household, and then he, he shifts gears and he quotes a passage from Genesis where it says, For this cause shall a man leave his mother and father and cling to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And then he makes this statement, but this is a great mystery, but I'm speaking concerning Christ and the church. And I'm like, wait, hold up. Are you speaking about the husbands and the wives and the role of, of in the household domestically? Or are you speaking about the church and their role with Christ and so it was kind of confusing at first, but I realized something, that our relationship with the Lord, okay, is patterned after an earthly relationship with one another. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 46, that first comes the natural and then comes the spiritual. And I grew up in the church, and we love the supernatural, and I've seen a lot of um, mysticism and weird and goofy stuff because people want to make something out of it that it isn't. But it's really clear we are spiritual beings and the things of the spirit flow naturally to us, or at least they should. And when we want to understand spiritual principles, we need to simply look at natural principles. When we get things wrong in the natural, it's going to affect us in the spirit realm. And so I want to speak to you on that subject about the mystery of the church. Because here he's talking about the, the consummation of the marriage of the husband and the wife. And if we don't understand what that looks like, that will affect our relationship with the Father. It's going to affect our worship. It's going to affect our natural relationships because first comes the natural and then comes the spiritual. So I have three points that I want to go over with you this morning. The pendulum, the power, and the Pentateuch. 
A pendulum, you know what a pendulum is? Back in the torturous days, they would put someone on a, on a table and they have this big, like, an axe, and they would swing from one side to the other until finally they got the confession out of someone. And so there's a saying that uh, people tend to swing to the opposite extremes of the pendulism. So I want to take you back a little bit in history, and I want you to understand that regardless of whether you've been saved a week or you've been saved and in the Lord for 40, 50 years, our gospel comes predominantly from Great Britain. Anybody hear this one? <laughs> Even if you're Roman Catholic, it comes from Europe. It is a European gospel that has come to the United States. And we need to understand where our roots are in order for us to understand why we function the way we function. So taking back in time, you know, uh, obviously Native Americans have been here, and we know that Ponce de Leon came and landed in Florida. But the United States as it is, when the pilgrims left for religious uh, freedom or religious persecution and search for religious freedom, landed on Plymouth Rock, and they started, you know, the church here in the United States. Good or bad or indifferent, whatever histor history may tell you, the fact is it came from England. So we need to understand a little bit of our roots. And there was a king in England named King Henry VIII. And King Henry VIII, and back then all the nations in Europe were under the Roman Catholic Church. Okay, there were five major centers in the planet, and the church in Rome was one of those five centers, and it ruled and had ruled over all the European nations. Now, King Henry wanted a son for, obviously, for his successor. Is that better? Okay. And he wanted a son, and so his wife couldn't produce a son, so he divorced her. And then he married another woman, and she couldn't produce a son, so he decapitated her. And he wound up killing about two of his wives, divorcing a couple of others. And finally, the pope got wind of it. And when he got to his fifth wife, the, he says, hey, he realized he couldn't mess around. And the pope said, listen, you cannot divorce or annul this woman just because you're having issues with what she's producing. Now, realizing that it's the male chromosome that decides male to female. But that's another story. And so he was furious, and so what he did was he succeeded or seceded from the Roman Catholic Church, and we have the birth of the Anglican Church. And he, as a result, the king said, I am not only going to be ruler over England, but ruler over the church. He did wind up having a son, and his son died, and his daughter, Elizabeth I, became the queen. And she took on the rulership as monarch over England, as well as ruler over the church. And she was a very, very promiscuous individual. She had daddy issues. And no wonder, look who her dad was. And then there was an epiphany, whether it was true or not true, you know, you have to judge for yourself, where she claimed to have actually received a visitation, and she got really saved, and she declared herself to be a virgin. Now, that can actually happen. Behold, all things are old things are past, behold, all things become new. And she declared that as the ruler over the church, she was going to continue the tradition that came from Europe. And that was that, the, that sexuality, I know it's Sunday morning, but we're going to go there, that sexuality was not for the purpose of pleasure, but for the purpose of procreation. It was not intended for pleasure. That mindset has remained within the church, the Anglican church, that came from Roman Catholicism, and it has creeped into the United States. No, I grew up in church. I don't have a history of gangs and drugs, anything of that nature. But if there's one thing we didn't discuss on the pulpit, or one thing we didn't discuss in Sunday school, was the topic of sex. 
And so what happens is you have this swing of the pendulum that goes to the extreme that says, oh, we can't talk about those things. In fact, we can't even discuss pleasure. It's only for the purpose of procreation. Even though people won't admit it, their actions approve that. So what happens is when we veer away from the scripture, because the scripture is not shy about this topic at all, the enemy is gladly takes that swing and as a result and swings it to the opposite extreme and introduces perversion into the church because there is a void of the word. And it's so easy to talk about, oh, this is going on in the education system. This is going on in society. And look at the music and look at the movies. But judgment begins in the house of the Lord. And because we as a church have have vacated our responsibility on dealing with issues that are plainly in Scripture, the enemy is gladly enough to fill that void. So there has been a swing of the pendulum, and we don't need perversion, obviously, and we don't need this nonsense that is simply for the purpose of procreation. What we need is balance. The Bible says in Hosea chapter 4, verse 6, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. He goes on to say in Hosea 4.14, a people without understanding are ruined. And if there's one thing we've seen growing up in the church is how many times have we seen scandal after scandal with ministers falling into sexual immorality, adultery. And why is that? Because we have not taught this in church. And there's been an absence of this knowledge, of biblical knowledge. Doesn't make it right, but in the words of Chris Rock, I understand. And then you have, um, and so I, I want you to understand that because that's really important. There is a swing in the pendulum, and we need a balance. So I want to talk to you, but why is there such, why is there so much controversy over this subject? Even in the Roman Catholic Church, you know, it's so easy to say, oh, my God, the mass pedophilia that went on. We remember a couple of years ago when it broke out was the Boston Globe broke out the news story, and, and not hundreds, but thousands of priests guilty of pedophilia. You know, because the church, the Roman Catholic Church, restricted the marrying. And there is a, you know, I remember counseling somebody and they said, listen, I need you to pray for me because my hormones are raging and, and I, I need God to just take this desire away from me. I said, okay, let's do that. So let's bow our heads, give me a hand. I said, Lord, I want you to strike my brother dead. <laughs> and he, he snatched his hand. What are you praying? God has created us to be sexual beings. He has given us that desire, but for a purpose, and there is power in that purpose. And that's what I want to talk to you my second point, is there is a power in intimacy that has been lost, diminished, and watered down because of our lack of understanding of the role of intimacy in the natural that's affected our intimacy in the spirit realm. Marketing, the number one tool in marketing is what? Is sex. Commercials. Movies. Music, I mean, it is the number one marketing tool out there. Why? Because they understand something that the church refuses to address, that there is something in reference to power when it comes to sexuality. Right? There's, there's nobody falling asleep here. I see the white in your eyes. And so and even in sports, in sports, they're encouraged to refrain for a season for the buildup of testosterone to build aggression. MMA fighters do it. Uh, boxers are encouraged to do it because they understand the power in sexuality. Solomon understood it. He said in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 18 and 19, he says, there are three things that are just too wonderful for me. 
He has four that I just don't understand. He said the way of an eagle in the sky, the way of a serpent on a rock, the way of a ship at sea, and the way of a man with a maid. And what do those four things have in common? Sexuality. Eagles mate in the sky. Serpents lie on rocks because they're cold-blooded animals to get their organs warm enough for mating. Ships would go from one port to another to do an interchange or intercourse, if you will, of the giving and receiving of goods. And like Captain Hook, you know, quoted when he quoted from the Bible in Peter Pan, the way of a man with a maid. When he was trying to get Peter Pan jealous about Tinkerbell. Anybody else watch Disney or am I the only ones? Man, tough crowd. So I grew up in church, and the only time we ever, anything was ever mentioned about sexuality from the pulpit, it was always, thou shall not commit adultery. Flee fornication. It was always in the negative aspects. We can't talk about Samson without mentioning Delilah. We can't talk about the greatest King David without talking about Bathsheba. And then, of course, the worst King Ahab is, more, who's more famous, him or his wife, Jezebel? And so that's all we hear, or that's all I heard growing up in church. But I want to talk to you about the positive power. Because I have news for you. Sex is God's idea. It didn't come from perversion. It didn't come from the pornography. It didn't come from Hugh Hefner and Playboy magazine. Okay, in Genesis chapter 2, God said, And the Lord God said, It is not good for man that man should be alone. And I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was his name. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, the birds of the air, the beasts in the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper, a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in his place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman and brought her to man. And Adam said, now this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, this is what Paul was quoting, therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Okay? That's Christianese for they got married and they had sex. Okay? They shall become one flesh. And check this out. And they were both naked, man and woman, and they were not ashamed. We have been ashamed to address this topic. And as a result, there has been rampant sexual promiscuity in the church. We have not been dealing with the issues that have been in the Bible to help us to understand the power that's in our sexuality. Now, someone had asked me, should we maybe dismiss the kids? Let me tell you something. You'd be surprised what kids in elementary school are being exposed to. And so it would, be, it would behoove us to be able to hear what the word has to say at a young age so they can know the truth. So when they're exposed to the perversion in the world, they'll have a standard that they can resist with. Of all places, of all places that God could have chosen as a sign for his covenant, it was in circumcision. Ouch. Of all places. Because God understood something. Because he created us. He understood something. If you can come into covenant with me in the area in which your sexuality comes from, then I will have your heart. It is an area of covenant. Ooh, man, it's quiet in here. 
Naomi influenced Ruth to you to understand her sensuality for Boaz. She wasn't promiscuous, but she understood the power of sexuality. Esther understood this about men. She understood that men are visual. Okay? So she took care of herself and she hooked herself up. And she knew that she needed to intervene greatly. Now, she could have probably waited. She probably could have spoken to her husband, come out with the bata and the rollers in the hair, you know, and that type of stuff. Uh, bata is a robe, right? Okay, so for those of you that don't speak Spanglish, right? And so, but she didn't do that. She understood men are visual. In the middle of him doing a time of decrees and where he was on his throne where it could have killed her, she hooked herself up, and when she walked into the room, he stands up, he goes, man, my wife is fine. Uh, king, uh, shut your mouth. Mm. He goes, baby, up to half the kingdom you can have. Now, that's power. She understood the power of her sexuality. Now, listen to this, though. She, the people in the courtroom, they weren't the only ones listening. The devil took notice, and the devil understood, hmm, if she can use power for a positive reason, what if I can pervert that and use that power for a negative reason? Because centuries later, when Herod was in his court and his niece did this very erotic dance that turned him on, he stood up and he says, wow, he goes up to half the kingdom you can have. Where did he get that from? Where did those demons get that from? Because they were in that court. And so what did they want? Did they ask for half the kingdom? No, they asked for the head of John the Baptist. So perversion's ultimate goal is to silence the voice of God in your life. She said, I want the head of John the Baptist. I want to cut off the head of the prophets. I want to cut off the voice of the Lord to the people. And when you understand that, that the purpose of your sexuality, okay, the purpose of it is intimacy with the Lord. Because when we're intimate with God, we get to hear God clear. It's called pillow talk. Everybody doing all right? Yeah. Right? If you're offended, you know, but what did Gideon say? God told Gideon, if you're afraid or you want to leave, go ahead and leave. <laughs> I won't be upset. The literal interpretation in the Greek for 1 Corinthians 7, when Paul is admonishing the believing spouse, if you have an unbelieving spouse, don't just be so quick to divorce them. In the Greek, what he's implying there is don't, don't divorce them just because they're an unbeliever, but use the gifts and the talents sexually to win them over not just using your mouth to berate them ah so you, you you're drunkard or you don't want to go to church you're a sinner that's really going to win them over right like that won you over it's the goodness of god that brings men to repentance in revelation chapter 21 it says and i saw the holy city the new jerusalem coming down out of heaven from god made ready as a bride Adorned for her husband. Now, when you think about that, now my wife's an event coordinator. When you think about a bride being made ready, what comes to your mind? Makeup, the dress, maybe the nails, manicure, pedicure, right? Because in our Western culture, it was all about the ceremony. They have this huge ceremony, we call a wedding, and then the couple goes off to a honeymoon to consummate the marriage, right? But that's not how it was done in the Eastern mindset. In the Eastern mindset, they consummated their marriage in the tent. And then they come out and they have a celebration. Probably make a couple of us feel a little funny, right, after that. But that's the way it was. So when, when John is writing this and he uses the phrase, a bride made ready, that had nothing to do with the party. Well, for his individual party, yes, but not for the corporate party. 
A bride made ready meant being prepared for intimacy. You see, it's very easy for a man to be ready for intimacy, but it takes a lot more work for a woman to be prepared for intimacy. We're still talking about worship here. I want you to understand that the lack of your understanding of intimacy in the natural realm is affecting your level of intimacy in the spirit realm. Clinical studies have shown that the same brain synapses that occurs during prayer are the same brain synapses that occurs during sex. That's why it's easier for people without spiritual knowledge to seek a mate rather than seeking God. So listen to this story here. You're all familiar with the story of the, Jesus when he visits, uh, he goes to the woman at the well in John chapter 4. And he says to her, in mid-conversation, Jesus said to her, go and call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you have said, well, you have no husband because you've had five husbands. And the guy that you're living with now, he's not your husband at all. And she says, well, I perceive that you must be a prophet. And listen to this. Now, any good Pentecostal preacher would begin talking to her about the evils of fornication and shacking up and adultery. And, and no, he didn't deal with the rotten fruit that was growing on her tree. He dealt with the root of the issue. Because listen to what he says. He goes, the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is the spirit and those who worship him must work. What does that got to do with her being with six different guys? Because the root of the issue is she was going from relationship to relationship to relationship, trying to fill a void that she could not fill in the natural with perversion and promiscuity. They can only be filled with the presence of God. And it was true worship that would have brought satisfaction to her. He dealt with the root of that issue. And it was that woman who got filled with the Spirit of God as a result that laid the seeds of revival in Samaria so that years later when Philip goes down and preaches and causes this whole revival and looks like a superstar, didn't realize there was a woman on fire for God that laid those seeds down. You guys doing okay? So if there's anyone that's known for worship, anyone, it would be David. And David, of course, was too young to enlist in the military, so he's tending to his father's sheep. But all his brothers were old enough, so they went into the military. And Jesse, his dad, one day says, I want you to go and take some stuff to your brothers. And when he goes, he finds, he sees the armies of Israel up on his hill, like shaking and trembling. And he sees the armies of the Philistines on top of the other hill, and he's trying to figure out what in the world's going on. And there's this giant named Goliath who's nine feet, six and a half inches tall. Now, we've been around Shaquille O'Neal a couple of times, and when he shook my hand, his middle finger reached like the middle of my forearm. <laughs> and he's like 7'1", so two and a half feet taller than Shaq. That's pretty huge. And so listen to what David says. And David spoke to the men who were standing by him, saying, what would be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? Listen to this. Who is this? uncircumcised Philistine that should taunt the armies of the living God. See, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be just like one of them since he's taught that the armies of the living God. What is he saying? What he's saying is that I don't care how big he is. I'm in covenant with God, and I have my sexuality in check. God didn't take away these desires, but he's harnessing it like a laser beam, and I'm receiving power from it. So when, in whatever sphere of authority that I have in right now is simply tending my father's sheep 
When the king of the jungle comes, the lion, I'm going to slay it. When the king of the forest comes, the bear, I'm going to slay it. And this guy, he's uncircumcised. His sexuality is all over the place. He doesn't stand a chance against me. He understood the power of his sexuality. He identified Goliath, not just some giant, but an uncircumcised. The pit, I mean the pendulum, the power, and the Pentateuch. And this is my final point. In Genesis chapter 38, verse 2, it says, And Judah saw a daughter of a certain Canaanite named Shua, and he married her. Oh, they're real shy about this here. And he married her, and he went into her. Very descriptive. So she conceived and bore a son and called his name Ar. And she conceived and bore again, and she called his name Onan. And she conceived yet again and bore a son and called his name Shelach. There was something powerful about this verse that I want to pull out for you this morning. I want to pull out the pleasure of praise and the product of praise. Judah saw a daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua, and he took her, and he went into her. So Judah is praise. We all know that, right? Yehuda in the Hebrew. Did I say it right? Where's my Jewish buddy at? Where's your husband at? Ah, eating a bagel. Unbelievable. (laughs) Bring me mine with cream cheese. Hook me up. He He speaks like fluent Hebrew. I love it. Yehuda, which literally means, it's not just praise, but it's praise with hands extended. You can't really Judah or Yehuda just by singing. It's praise that has a physical response with hands extended. So here is the example in Psalm 63, 4. So I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands in your name, Yehuda. I will praise you with hands extended. Psalm 134, lift your hands to the sanctuary and bless his name. Psalm 143, 6. I will stretch out my hands to you. My soul longs for you as in a parched land. These are three examples of the word where Yehuda praises used. It's not just singing, but it's singing with hands extended. Now, those are examples, but I'm also going to give you an end sample. An example is something that you can verbally describe, but an end sample is something that has to be acted out. And in Song of Solomon, Solomon says it this way. He uses the same phrase in verse chapter 2, verse 6. And Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 3, he says, Let his left hand be, she says, the Shunammite bride says this to him, Let his left hand be under my head, and with his right hand he did embrace me. Now, they didn't have, I guess, the courage to actually uh, interpret that correctly. So, and I'll be mild, so don't worry about it. How it actually reads in the Hebrew is, With his left arm under my head, and with his right hand he prepared me for intimacy. Okay, I'll, I'll be as mi- that mild, okay? Because, I mean, some of your eyes are about to fall out. (laughs) I mean, if I could. (laughs) Wow. So you can't even describe this type of praise without intimacy. Now, Yehuda, the root comes from the root word yada. And yada means, yada means to know by experiencing with the senses. And it's first used in Genesis 4.1. And Adam knew Eve and she conceived. That's more than a handshake and more than an introduction. Can we agree? Okay. That's the root word for Judah. I want you to understand that. It's the root word. Uh, in, in the Greek, it's gnosko. And it's used to convey the thought of intimacy between a husband and a wife. And in Luke 134, when Gabriel tells Mary, hey, you're going to be with child, she says, how can this be being that I know not a man? 
You guys doing okay? That is the root word for Judah. That is the root word for praise. So I'm building to something here. So it says that Judah saw a certain daughter of a Canaanite whose name was Shua. Shua means this. Freedom. To be free. To shout. What happens when our praise that's intimate before God marries freedom? When we take our intimate praise to the Lord and we marry it with a freedom, what does it produce in the spirit realm? It says that she produced a son and his name was Er. Er. Which literally means the opening of the eyes, the stirring up, and an awakening. When we praise God intimately, without restrictions, with freedom, what it produces is an awakening in the spirit, the opening of the eyes. We see this in the Old Testament in Second Chronicles when 120 priests got together and they began to Yehuda, they began to praise God with extended hands, intimately, and it began to marry in the spirit with Shua with a freedom. It produced what? This Bible says the spirit of the Lord came down so strong that the priest could not stand. There was an opening of the eyes. There was a stirring. There was an awakening. We see that again in the book of Acts. 120 were in the upper room. Now here the scene looked a little different. They weren't screaming and shouting and playing instruments. They were in prayer because God will move in different ways, right? The Bible says, God, be holy, even as I am holy. And the word holy comes from the root word, which means different. And God is eternal revelation. So we can get a glimpse of God, but then God reveals himself again because every time we see him, we see something different. Anybody awake? You wave your hand. <laughs> so we see that on the upper room, 120, they're seeking God, they're praising God, and all of a sudden they, there comes that marrying in with freedom, and all of a sudden the Bible says the Spirit of God came in like a mighty rushing wind, and they were filled with the Holy Ghost. There was an opening of the eyes, there was an awakening, there was a stirring up. Now, Judah and his wife did not just mate one time. Because the Bible says that they did it again, okay? And she conceived again and bore another son named Onan. I love this boy. This boy is good. His name means strength, power, to be made strong. So when we think about the Proverbs 31 woman, it says in Proverbs 31, 17 that she girds her loins with strength. She understands the power of her sexuality. All right, turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, neighbor. it's in the book. <laughs> He's not making this up. Turn to your other neighbor. Say, it's in the Bible. He's not reading from the Koran. <laughs> All right. In Matthew chapter 21, verse 15 and 16, it says, but when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that Jesus did and the children crying out in the temple saying, Hosanna. To the son of David, they were indignant. And Jesus said to them, have you not read that out of the mouths of babes and sucklings thou has ordained praise? Do you ever wonder why he said that? Because he's quoting from Psalm chapter 8, but it doesn't read that way. Why would Jesus misquote the Bible? 
Anybody else ask questions of the text? <laughs> so let's read what it says in Psalm chapter 8, verse 2. Out of the mouths of babes and sucklings, that has ordained strength. Jesus equates praise with strength because Jesus understands that when you praise God intimately and you marry it with freedom, that is not only going to be an opening of the eyes, an awakening and a stirring up, but as we continue pressing in, it's going to produce power. It's going to produce strength. It's from here that we have miracles and signs and wonders. Peter says it this way, we are born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed, by the word of God which lives and abides forever. Isn't that a beautiful verse? We're born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed. The word seed in the Greek is sperma, where we get our word sperm. What's, what, what, is, what is Peter saying? What he's saying here is that when we worship God, God will infuse us with his seed. And it infuses our soul and produces a spirit that begins to live and move and grow. So you can't even get around any part of this relationship with God. It's easy to sound religious and use Christianese, but we can't get away from intimacy. It's always been about intimacy. You know, we quote scriptures like he's come to seek and save that which is lost. And we use that for evangelism. And, and I use it for evangelism too. But he didn't say he came to seek and save them which were lost. He said he came to seek and save that which was lost. And what was lost? The intimacy that we had in the garden with God in the very beginning. Heaven is just a French benefit, Okay. It was all about restoring intimacy, restoring the relationship that Adam had in the garden with God. When Adam walked with the voice of God in the cool of the garden. So with that understanding, in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, God here, he's already, he's, man, Adam and Eve already sinned. And now he's giving Adam his punishment and Eve his punishment. Now he's addressing the devil. And he says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. Now, why would he say that? Because the woman doesn't have the seed. The man has the seed. Because in the Hebrew, the word there for seed is the fertilized egg as a result of the seed. That is what's going to bruise the head of the serpent. So if we want to have power over the enemy, it, we still can't get away from intimacy. As we worship God intimately, and we marry that with freedom, and it produces an awakening an opening of the eyes is also going to continue and produce power. What kind of power? The kind of power that will crush the head of the enemy. Daniel said it this way. The people that know their God, Yada, will be strong, Onan, and do great exploits. You want to know God and you want to be strong in God and have his power? We need to be intimate with God without religious restrictions and move in the freedom that God has set us free in. Anybody ever ask for a prayer? Have a prayer need and then God didn't answer the prayer and you get frustrated with God? You ever wonder why? Well, this may be one of the reasons why. Okay? Jesus said it this way. Well, let me back up. She had three sons and her third son, he says she bore still another son and named him Shelach. And shelach means a request. 
a petition. We're intimate with God. We marry that with freedom, and it produces an awakening. It produces power, and now it produces a petition. It produces a request. Jesus said, if you abide in me, and my word, the seed, God's sperm, abides in you, then you can ask what you will, and it shall be given to you. But we want to just go in there and treat God like a Santa Claus. And it doesn't work that way. I remember growing up in, the, I think it was in the 70s, there was a song by the Pointer Sisters, I want a man with a slow hand. I want a man with an easy touch. Well, maybe I'm too old. I'm 50 years old, so I'm beyond your age. Someone who's going to not come and go in a heated rush, Right? And this is what God's looking for. He's looking to spend time with you. He wants to be intimate with you, but we're just, we just come to him, oh, I have this need, and that's it. Let me get what I can and just leave. But I'm telling you something. There's power when you bring pleasure to a man. It says like this in Psalm 19.5, like a bridegroom coming out of his bedchamber, he rejoices like a strong man to run the race. Like Forrest Gump. I mean, <laughs> praise the Lord. Hallelujah. What can I do for you? There is power in intimacy. There's been a swing in the pendulum by the church. The church has, has just simply advocated its role in speaking and declaring the truth when it comes to sexuality. We've only dealt and focused on the negativity because that's what the enemy wants us to focus on. It comes from our roots that we've carried with us over from the, the Nina, the Minta, or the Santa Maria. I forgot the names of those boats. Whether, yeah. Whether it, come, whether it comes from Roman Catholicism or comes from Great Britain, there's an Elizabethan theology that has spoiled our gospel. It has made us to think that, it's, that the purpose of intimacy is only for the purpose of procreation. But God, from the very beginning, said it was intended for pleasure. Now, you're probably saying, well, I'm not married. Well, Paul says that you have an advantage because David wasn't married when he was shepherding the sheep. And yet he understood the power of his sexuality and his covenant with God, and that's why he's able to defeat the lion, the bear, and then Goliath. Paul says that if you're single, if you're not married, then you have an undivided attention that you can focus on God. God wants to take our sexuality and project it like a laser beam in our intimacy with God. And when we don't understand that, that's when we fall. And people are rampant, falling into pornography and adultery. And it's just rampant in the world. Why? Because we have not taught them to worship God. We have not taught them to worship God with freedom, unreligious and unrestricted. And when that happens, it will produce something. It will produce a stirring of the spirit, an awakening. It will produce power, and it will produce petitions that have been not, of prayers that have not gone answered. Shani, come up. And worship team, if you can come up. You know, the disciples, they got together with Jesus, and they asked them a question. They said, what is the meaning of life? And Jesus summed it up in John 17, 3. He said, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom we sent. That they may know, gnosko, that they may intimately know God. And it's not just about coming and say these words and now we enter into the kingdom and now if, we, if a bus hits us on the way out, we're going to heaven. It's not just about that. 
He died on the cross for a reason, because he wants you to be intimate with him. And we've missed the boat, riding on a boat of religiosity and rules and regulations when God has wanted us to minister to him intimately with freedom of expression to produce an awakening, to produce power, to answer our petitions. Hosea said, and I sum this up with this, so let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. I want Shani to come up and sing this song that she wrote. And, um, and then I want to hold an altar call. And this is what, I want you to all stand. This, this is who this is for. If you're not satisfied where you are right now when you walk with God, you want a greater level of intimacy. Perhaps you come like myself from an ecclesiastical background where there was, where there was a lot of, there wasn't freedom. There wasn't taught the per, true purpose of our sexuality, that it was intended so that we can be a pleasure to God. If you're not happy where you're at, I want you to come forth and we want to minister to you. If, if Pat, PK and PL and Yvette and Rosie and Frankie, please come up. Rooted, I want you up here as well. I want you guys to come and help me pray. If that's you, that you're not satisfied where you're at and you want more of God and you want to experience greater levels of intimacy, I want you to come forth. Maybe you haven't entered into greater levels of intimacy because your view of sexuality has been marred. How can you worship God the Father when your father has molested you? Or maybe he didn't molest you. Maybe he wasn't there. You grew up without a father. I grew up with a father, but a father who didn't communicate. His, the, the summation of his conversation was, hmm, and that was it. And so I, was, I always had a hard time hearing God because I never expected my natural dad to speak, so I didn't expect my spiritual dad to speak. Shall you let me know when you're ready. If that's you, I want you to come forth because God wants to bring healing to your mindset, healing to your heart. God wants to heal you. So he could remove those areas that you've been wounded in because God the Father, who is pure and holy, wants you to experience intimacy with him. You can come now, anyone. If not, I'm going to come down and you can pray for me because I want more. Maybe they're all happy where they're at, but I'm not happy where I'm at. I want more, Lord. I want more of God. Thank you for tuning into our podcast. For more information about us, please visit remnantchristiancenter.com.